across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or at the web. VeteransRadio.org is our new URL, VeteransRadio.org. Where we're on the web 24-7, you can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.org. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at LegalHelpForVeterans.com We want to welcome back to Veterans Radio Paul Ryan, Captain Paul Ryan retired uh, out of the Navy Reserve is the Vice Chair of the Michigan uh, Military and Veterans Hall of Honor and uh, it's coming that time of year again to put some more inductees into the hall Paul, welcome back to Veterans Radio Hello Jim, nice to be back with you again well, as we've told folks in the past, the this is the, the Hall of Honor for Michigan is to recognize veterans and military members who have had really extraordinary and distinguished service either while in act, on active duty or um, maybe they got out and, and really kind of kept the faith uh, in the rest of their civilian world and, and did extraordinary things for the veterans community. So you put in six military members and six veteran members. Uh, every year, and we're going to talk about four of these. Paul, when is the induction ceremony this year? Uh, this year's ceremony is a little earlier than we've had it in past years. It will be held on Friday, October 27th at uh, 12.30 p.m. The ceremony itself will begin at 12.30 at the Michigan History Center in Lansing. Oh, it's a great location, very dignified as it should be. And, and uh, will you have uh, individuals who are being inducted actually present uh, for this affair? Yes, uh, we have, um, as you know, Jim, that we, uh, 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 we are open to uh, bringing in for induction uh, uh, worthy individuals, uh, living or deceased. And I believe of the 12 this year, uh, about half of them are living and the other half are, are deceased. Well, it's a great ceremony for those who are uh, able to attend uh, for the inductees, their family. It's a real honor. And certainly at uh, those who have passed on, their family members or friends and relatives, uh, their community comes out and supports this as well. So you'll have, I don't know, what, two or 300 people in the auditorium? Yeah, the, the auditorium holds about 250, and we're, we've been pretty good about uh, filling the house uh, for just about every ceremony that we've had since 2019. Well, let's talk about four of these individuals, and we're going to get a chance to talk to some of the other board members and others who are going in this year in 2023. But uh, one of the ones in the, the, the military category, S.E. Woods, really gives you a sort of a sense of how um, encompassing the hall is to capture people. So tell us about Essie Woods. Yeah, Essie Woods has a really interesting story and uh, on a couple of levels. Uh, one of them, I think the main one, is that uh, uh, Essie's story shows just how important so many different aspects of military service are. Uh, it, it goes well beyond the war fighters. Uh, Essie was uh, born in uh, 1915 and was a lifelong resident of Detroit. 
she, uh, like so many other patriotic men and women, uh, enlisted uh, in the military in World War II. Uh, in, in Essie's case, as a female, she enlisted as, in what was then known as the Women's Army Corps in uh, 1943 and served with a unit uh, identified as the 6888 Central Postal Directory Battalion. Uh, this battalion, uh, which was nicknamed the 6888, uh, actually went into, uh, went into Europe, uh, initially in England, and then into liberated France. And Essie's battalion was responsible for processing mail. Well, anybody who's ever been in service, uh, at least in the age before the Internet, uh, certainly knows how important getting a letter is. And as I understand it, um, there was quite a backlog at this point, and they sent in the 6888 and said, nobody else has been able to solve this backlog. Let's see if you guys can. And by you guys, I meant the women. So how did that story play out? Yeah, yeah, and just just to, to to reinforce your comment, when I was on active duty in the Navy back in the seventies, you're exactly right. Um, uh, receiving mail, especially when you were deployed, I was deployed once, uh, was really important. Uh, you could tell the positive effect that it had on those who received the mail, and uh, negative effect on those who didn't receive any mail. So uh, this was a really a vital. Uh, uh, activity to contribute to the mission. And in the Sick Triple H case, um, they had a uh, six month backlog of undelivered mail. Uh, set these, uh, I, I believe the, the, uh, uh, the unit was primarily female, uh, set these women soldiers uh, to the task. Uh, they pr- uh, were able to process. Uh, more than, on average, more than 65,000 pieces of mail per eight-hour shift. And that incredible performance uh, enabled them to uh, clear that six-month backlog in only half of that time, in only three months. Just an incredible performance. Yeah, this you could we could spend an hour on this topic because, in fact, I have on interviews for Veterans Radio. It's so interesting. This was a uh, African American unit uh, that faced a lot of discrimination, and and yet processed through all this mail. And now, again, folks, Veteran Radio listeners, think about this. This is before computers. This wasn't before Excel spreadsheets. All this mail had to be pieced together by hand and uh, on pieces of paper and pencil. So it was quite a feat, and and Essie Woods was part of that. But after she got out, I mean, she, she was a staff sergeant ultimately, as I understand it, but after she got out, she stayed active with veterans, didn't she? Yeah, you could say that uh, somebody like Essie and her experience uh, in World War II could have very easily said, you know, I've done enough, and I'm going to just live the rest of my life in a, in a different way. But uh, Essie didn't do that. She continued to serve the military and veterans in uh, various capacities for over 35 years. Uh, she was one of the founders of the National Association of Black Military Women and was also a founding member of uh, a local chapter, the Wolverine Chapter 67 of the Women's Army Corps Veterans Association. Uh, just to, you know, uh, continue to uh, serve her fellow veterans and her community long after she uh, uh, took off the uniform. Well, she was certainly one of the ones, you know, when you talk about standing on the shoulders of uh, giants to keep moving forward, she was one of them. I want to move to uh, somebody who you are inducting in the veteran category, um, whose uh, public service is also very ongoing. Uh, talk to us about Jack Bergman. Yeah, Jack Bergman, uh, born in Minnesota, but he'd lived in Michigan for the past 27 years. Um, he started out as uh, an officer in the Marine Corps, commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps back in 1969 uh, during the Vietnam War. Uh, didn't serve there, though. He flew uh, uh, helicopters for the Marines in uh, stateside in North Carolina, uh, Japan, and then later in, uh, in uh, Vietnam. Uh, Jim uh, or uh, Jack left active duty in 1975 
and began uh, flying uh, the UH-1 helicopters or the, the, the old Huey helicopter for the Rhode Island National Guard. Now, the National Guard is an Army outfit. Uh, I do know that uh, uh, a number of uh, folks that serve in the Marine Corps move over to the National Guard uh, because it's uh, the promotion opportunities uh, tended to be uh, better in the Guard. Uh, while Jack was in the Guard, uh, he served in uh, numerous commands in Germany, North Carolina, and in Louisiana. Uh, Jack went back to the Marine Corps. That, in my experience, is a little unusual. I, I know a number of people that have gone from the Corps to the Guard, but not back to the, uh, to the uh, Corps from the Guard. Jack did that. Uh, went back on active duty, uh, rose to the rank of lieutenant general, three-star general, and um, uh, served as director of reserve affairs to the Marine Corps at Quantico, Virginia. He uh, finished his career as uh, commander of Marine Forces Reserve uh, starting in 2009, uh, 2005, excuse me, and uh, served in that role for four years, uh, concluding it in 2009, which is when he retired. So uh, he had a total, when you combine his Marine Corps and National Guard service, of 40 years of military service. And he's not going into the hall because of his military service. It certainly added to this, but it's what he's done since that's so amazing, right? <laughs> right. Tell he, us about that. Guys, we, we have them uh, that come up occasionally in the, the Hall of Honor that uh, they're their uh, curriculum vitae, as you might say, uh, is uh, strong in both the military and the veteran categories and could be uh, inducted in either one. And in, in Jack's case, uh, after he uh, took off his uniform, uh, he too, uh, like S.E. Woods, continued to serve his community, state, uh, and the country in many capacities, uh, including uh, various private sector ventures, but also was elected to the United States Congress in 2016 for Michigan's first congressional district, which serves uh, northern Michigan and the Upper Peninsula. Uh, Jack uh, is, uh, as, as a veteran uh, who is also a member of Congress, uh, has been very active in helping to ensure that those who, uh, who did wear the uniform and uh, uh, fought for uh, to preserve our freedoms uh, receive uh, everything that those veterans are uh, entitled to uh, he was instrumental in uh, passing the fiscal year 2024 National Defense Authorization Act, for example, uh, in the House. And the National Defense Authorization Act, or the NDAA, as those inside the Beltway refer to it, is uh, the main funding law that, that funds the military for the successive year. Well, it, 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 truly an inspiration, and that's what uh, all of these people who are be, being inducted are, uh, who demonstrate not only a you know great military service, but hey, a hell of a public service when they get out. And that's another one of your uh, inductees, Jennifer Smith. Tell us about her in the veteran category. Yeah, Jennifer Smith uh, was an Army vet. Um, she was a uh, lifelong resident of Lansing, born in 1971. She enlisted in the Army in 1990 and served in Operation Desert Storm as a pharmacy specialist with uh, the 101st Airborne Division, uh, specifically the 326 Medical Battalion. That was in the 101st. Uh, she was uh, actively served in Saudi Arabia uh, and then later Iraq and uh, rose to the rank of Staff Sergeant. Uh, she wasn't in the uh, the army very long. Left it, but after she took off her uniform, uh, Jennifer was extremely active with both the American Legion uh, and veterans of foreign wars organizations. Um, really, an interesting story with respect to the American Legion. She served as a, a commander of a American Legion post in Lansing, Post Five Thirty Five, which is an all female post. Uh, she also rose up through the uh, organization, the American Legion organization, um, uh, being named as the uh, state chaplain for the American Legion Department of Michigan from 2013 to 2015. In the VFW, her, uh, her rise was even greater than that. Um, she was also a post commander for a VFW post, 701, in Lansing. She was on the Department of Michigan, uh, the state-level VFW legislative 
committee. Uh, she was a, a, a district commander for the VFW. And for those people who aren't familiar, the, the basic uh, organizational unit of the VFW, as well as the American Legion, is a post. And then the next level of leadership up is a uh, called a district, which is a collection of posts in a geographic area. Uh, Jennifer had that role, District 6. She was also state legislative director, uh, state legislative outreach and congressional liaison, and state chaplain. She also testified before the U.S. Congress uh, Veterans Affairs Committee regarding Gulf War illnesses back in, in 2015. Just it just makes me tired reading all of that. No, she has uh, a no. yeah, she has an incredible long list of roles and organizations. Unfortunately, she just passed away a little bit ago, didn't she? Yeah, she she uh, passed away uh, in November of 2021, uh, just short of her 50th birthday. Uh, I do not know uh, the circumstances surrounding her death, but. Um, uh, I, I'm aware of other uh, Gulf War vets who uh, experienced all kinds of health problems, serious health problems, because of their service in country, uh, in Iraq in particular. And uh, I, I suspect but don't know that her untimely death may be related to uh, uh, that kind of a situation. And here's a good example of somebody who's passed away whose, whose service is inspiring and the family is going to get to uh, be a part of this Hall of Honor, this medal ceremony. And I know from the other four uh, ceremonies I've been at, this is really impactful for the family, isn't it? Uh, yes. Um, uh, one of the things that I hear in my ongoing interaction with veterans, and particularly veterans' families, and particularly the families of those veterans who had died, uh, whether it was uh, in the service or as a consequence of their service, uh, the, the biggest fear that those families have is that the memory of their lost loved one is forgotten. And uh, especially in a case like Jennifer Smith, uh, I'd, I'd like to think that the Hall of Honor plays at least a small role in helping to preserve uh, her memory not only for the family, but for uh, the communities that Jennifer served and for the state overall. Well, one of the things we uh, it's always nice to do is recognize someone when they're still alive and can enjoy it with their family. And you're going to get a chance to do that with inducting Evelyn Kennedy into the Hall of Honor uh, this October. Tell us about uh, uh, Ms. Kennedy. Yes, Evelyn Kennedy, um, born in uh, 1939 in Tennessee and then moved as a child to Detroit and uh, lived there ever since. Uh, like Essie Woods, uh, Evelyn joined uh, the Women's Army Corps, uh, but Evelyn joined in 1961. Uh, she served uh, for uh, a couple of years as a finance specialist at Fort Hood, Texas during Vietnam. Uh, after her departure from the active army, uh, Evelyn, uh, as a staff sergeant, uh, mid-grade enlisted person, uh, mid-level mid leadership in the enlisted ranks, uh, uh, Evelyn joined the uh, Army Reserve and served in the Army Reserve until 1996. So uh, that was a total of 35 years of military service for uh, Evelyn. Uh, after, uh, actually even before uh, uh, Evelyn left, uh, uh, left the military, in uh, 1985, uh, she joined uh, the local chapter, uh, Wolverine Chapter 67, of the Women's Army Corps Veterans Association. And uh, while she was currently serving, she was, uh, and, and her long experience before that 1985 date, uh, she was able to use her military knowledge and experience to serve Michigan uh, veterans uh, throughout the state. Um, she did rise in the Women's Army Corps uh, Veterans Association at the state level uh, to positions as a chaplain, finance officer, secretary, vice president, and president for uh, over a 20-year span. And uh, she also served uh, in the national uh, level of uh, the Women's Army Corps Veter uh, Veterans Organization as national community projects chair and their national honor guard for 25 years. So again, um, uh, someone who served uh, the community concurrent with and after 
her military service. Yeah, one one of the part of the write up that uh, you've prepared. She also volunteered down at the uh, John Dingle VA Medical Center in Detroit. I mean, this is somebody who had a servant's heart and has been noted for her contributions pretty widely. Oh, yes, y- yes, indeed. And it, but but here's the thing. So how old is she, and is she going to come? Uh, Evelyn is very much still with us, uh, thank goodness. And uh, at the uh, the spry age of 84, uh, Evelyn will be joining us in person to accept her induction into the Hall of Honor. Yeah, the, all all of these folks, and and while there were a couple of uh, a couple of Army and one Marine here, uh, your inductees go across to all service lines. They go across to all geographic territory. They have to have roots in Michigan, but as we hear, some of them were transplants. Uh, all genders, all it's really an inclusive and and inspiring bunch, isn't it? Oh yes, uh, yeah we. Uh, uh, we look for the best stories, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to tell you, Jim, that uh, Michigan veterans uh, provide us with an abundance of uh, 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 interesting and inspiring stories. Um, we uh, we love to take them on and to tell those stories. Well, again, let's uh, remind our listeners this is a open to the public, free of charge ceremony on October 27th, 2023 in Lansing, Michigan at the Michigan uh, Historical Museum at 12.30 p.m. Come on out. You'll hear these stories. You'll get to meet some of these folks. Um, You know, bring the kids, bring the grandkids. Uh, There's plenty of things to do, and it is inspiring. uh, you, you you have some musical selections. Who's who's who are the dignitaries, and what are you going to have on tap for music? Uh, well, uh, as as far as the music is concerned, uh, we will once again have uh, uh, a brass quintet from the 126th Band of the Michigan Army National Guard. They'll be coming from uh, Grand Rapids. That's where the the band is is located. Um, I would tell you, Jim, that. Uh, uh, we, we have the same exact guys coming this year, soldiers ca- coming this year as came last year. Uh, the soldiers themselves were very inspired listening to the stories. And uh, their, uh, their lead NCO, who was in charge of the group, came up to me afterwards and said, uh, hey, hey, Paul, we uh, really want to, uh, we want to come back next year. This was really uh, 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 intensely interesting for us. Uh, we want to. Uh, we want more of it, so we're coming back this uh, next year, and so they are. They'll be. Oh, they'll be great. with us again in uh, in October. Well, you, it, it won't disappoint anybody who shows up. Will not walk away disappointed. Uh, Captain Paul Ryan, uh, U.S. Navy retired. We're glad you had a little time to talk to us. We're even more glad that you, as vice chair of the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor can can explain how all this fits together it's not always easy for people to kind of get it uh, but i think uh, this will um, if they want to know more information and they want to see the names of others who have been inducted in the past uh, i'm going to give them the website i'm not going to uh, make you do it paul in case you don't have it right in front of you but it's mi military vet hall of honor.org so mi military vet hallofhonor.org and you can get a lot more information a lot more history and uh, more details on the stories of folks who are being inducted or have been inducted paul thanks for your time today thank you jim pleasure to have to be with you we're continuing our conversation today regarding the 2023 inductees to the michigan military and veterans hall of honor we have one of its board members with us now bill mcdubin Bill, welcome to Veterans Radio. Uh, thank you, Jim. I'm glad to be here today. Well, Bill uh, is a board member of the uh, Hall of Honor. Uh, he is a self-described military brat. His uh, dad was in the Navy, and he got to live all over the world as a result of that. Uh, but that wasn't enough for Bill. Bill joined up with the Coast Guard and spent 25 years with uh, the Coast Guard and, again, kind of got a chance to see the world. Uh, um, uh, certainly Alaska, where I spent some time. But, uh, geez, you got time in uh, London, uh, England, as well as Virginia and Washington, D.C. How did you get the London gig? That sounds pretty good. Well, I was, uh, I was up in Alaska 
prior to that uh, that uh, assignment, and I was actually trying to stay an additional couple of years or so, and I'd just gotten married, and my my detailer, he was like, no, we can't keep you in Alaska any longer. You've been there seven years, and everyone wants to go there. So it was a popular place in the Coast Guard to be assigned to. And I'm like, okay, well, where are you going to send me? So I was kind of wondering if he was going to put me on a ship or, um, you know, a larger base uh, where for my, my enlisted rating was probably a good possibility. He said, would you be interested in going over to London, England? And it was like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Let me uh, check with my new bride. And uh, this might work. She was a, she was a little shocked. <laughs> and uh, they actually, the reason I got there was because, uh, I don't know, this is way back in the early or the mid 80s. And uh, that Libyan dictator, Gaddafi, had fired missiles at an island off the coast of Italy, southern coast of Italy. And uh, we had a Coast Guard Loran station there, and they needed someone to go to London to uh, help them plan their kind of their security establishment because they really had no nothing really in place to deal with anything like that uh, or with any kind of possible invasion of that island or anything. So I went there and actually became they educated me in a lot of security. Uh, facility security issues and wrote them an SOP and uh, also uh, took over the classified uh, uh, classified uh, document uh, uh, that we documents that we had in our London office for managing security at all our Loran stations. And uh, so that's what I did for about three years in England. And well, you know, fantastic tour. Yeah, really. <laughs> a once in a lifetime tour. Uh, military guys always yeah. have interesting stories. Well, some of them are, uh, you, you sort of end up shaking your head at. And that's what we like about uh, uh, talking about the inductees to the Michigan uh, Military and Veterans Hall of Honor. They've all got interesting stories. And Bill's on here to talk about a couple of them. Why don't we start with uh, Roger Chaffee? Tell us the story. I would love to. Um, so, Roger B. Chaffee, if uh, folks don't rem- recall, he was the Apollo 1 astronauts uh, that were tragically killed back in 1967 uh, when uh, they were undergoing uh, testing of their command module. He was uh, actually a Michigan-born kid. He was... Uh, uh, he was uh, brought up early in his early years in Greenville. He's actually born in Grand Rapids, spent about the first five or six years of his life in Greenville, Michigan. And then their family moved to Grand Rapids, and that's where he basically kind of developed his passion for a variety of different things, especially flying and aerospace, uh, which he, which kind of came about because of what his father's background, who had been a barnstorming pilot back in the twenties and thirties. And uh, that's when he got his first flight. His father took him up on a, on a, I would assume like a, a, a biplane uh, when he was a little kid. And that kind of hooked him for the rest of his life, kind of made it part of his dream to do something like that uh, when he grew up. He had a kind of a typical boyhood for kids that had been born in the mid-30s and then going into World War II. You know, it was very influenced by, you know, the whole war effort going on in the country. You know, kind of that that good old-fashioned patriotic spirit that developed among that generation of uh, boys and and girls as well. And he... uh, he excelled in school, you know, in high school. He uh, was also very passionate about his Boy Scout, Boy Scout experience. He, uh, he went all the way through Eagle Scout, earned probably twice the number of merit badges he needed to be an Eagle Scout. So he's just one of these all-around great kids. He graduated from Central High School in, in Grand Rapids uh, in 1953. And then um, he applied for the Naval Academy and was accepted, but eventually decided to turn that down that appointment because he really wanted to go 
to a a college that was going to get him into aeronautics. And so he ended up actually going first to the Illinois Institute of Technology. He then transferred to the uh, to Purdue University because they just had a fantastic aeronautical engineering program. And at the same time, even though he didn't go to the academy, he did go into the Naval Reserve Officer Training Corps, got a scholarship for that to help pay for a lot of his college. And, uh, you know, his first experience uh, with that was actually an eight-week tour he had on the USS Wisconsin as part of that program. And he got to tour through England, Scotland, and France, and Cuba. So that was in the late, kind of mid, mid to late 50s that that was going on in his life. And then from there, he, um, while he was in college in Purdue, he met his, uh, he met his wife. And uh, that was his, uh, her name was, uh, his name, her name, excuse me, is Martha. And she was from uh, Indiana. And they eventually, I'm sorry, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And uh, from there, they, uh, he became a, a naval officer after he graduated from Purdue, and he was uh, he was a jet pilot, and so that was the late fifties, early sixties, and he uh, spent several tours on different aircraft carriers, and then he was signed to a variety of different air bases down in Florida, and this during this time, of course, we had the Cuban Missile Crisis go on, and that's where he really excelled in some of his duties as a naval pilot through countless uh, missions over Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And this, this was... Doing reconnaissance yeah, Bill, and a variety this, of other uh, activities. Yeah. Bill, this was a time when uh, pilots, test pilots, uh, were kind of at the forefront of getting into being astronauts. Is that how he made the transition? Yeah, it was, yes. Um, during the early 60s, when he did it, submitted his first application for astronaut training. He was still a little young for, for that program, and it took him a couple years to actually get accepted and tested. He had some uh, medical issues with his eyes that he had to overcome, uh, which almost caused him to document the program, but he was finally accepted into the program in the early 60s. And that was for the, uh, he was in the basically the third group of astronauts since the program had started. So the Gemini and Apollo astronaut training program. And he commenced that, selected in 1963 and started the training and uh, the responsibilities that candidates had to, um, you know, get their ultimate assignment to, um, uh, a space flight uh, event. Well, and and uh, you know, again, this was the a rigorous training program of the best of the best, and and to be chosen for a, a Apollo One crew with guys like uh, Grissom and White, uh, really, this this put him at uh, the pinnacle of uh, his career. But but it was short lived at that point, wasn't it? Unfortunately, it was. But yes, he was ex- he was accepted as uh, one of the crew members for the first Apollo mission, and it was um, with Grissom uh, uh, and White, and he was actually also the youngest uh, uh, candidate ever selected for one of the missions to actually go on one of the missions. So well, that you, was another accomplishment that he had. You can certainly was, you can so certainly they kind of. You can certainly see, Bill, why the board of the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor feel that uh, Roger Chaffee is appropriate to be inducted into the hall, and that induction is go- actually going to occur for 2023 uh, this October. And you know, it's just to, to have stories and men and women uh, like this from all the services inducted really makes the the hall special that induction ceremony is on october 27th it's a friday um, in lansing michigan at the michigan history 
uh, Museum. Uh, starts at 12:30. It's open, free to the public, and in Roger Jeff is just one of the. Uh, what's there about a dozen people being inducted? Uh, Bill, do I have that right? That is absolutely correct. And another great thing that we, I think, we initiated last year, is, and we we hope to do it again this year, is that we will we will have it live streamed on our Facebook page, um, so people will be able to tune in. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of room for folks to show up at the uh, event in person if they so wish, and they're available to do that. But we'll also have the live stream available as well. And and uh, inductees are obviously invited and attend if they're a living, and if they're not, uh, then family or representatives will be there on their behalf to accept the medal and the induction and the other uh, tributes that are that are formed there. And and you've uh, we want to talk about another one of these stories that uh, while while you may recognize you know oh he's an astronaut. But you don't know the backstory that Bill just gave you about, you know, how he got there. You'll learn these stories. And the next name we're going to talk about is Governor G. Menon Williams. And you go, well, uh, he was a Michigan governor. Is that why he's getting in? And that's not really all of it. Uh, there's more to the story. So, Bill, tell us about this inductee. Well, G. Menon Williams was uh, born in Detroit. He had an interesting background. His father was Michigan-born and from Detroit. His mother was um, a member of the Menon family. And if you're a man, you you probably raised and, and used Menon products. And uh, as a result of that background, he was eventually nicknamed Soapy Williams. And one of the things that people may not realize about uh, Soapy Williams, because they know him as either a chief justice of the Michigan Supreme Court or the governor or other political offices, is that during World War II, he served for four years in the United States Navy as an air combat uh, intelligence officer in the South Pacific. He uh, achieved the rank of lieutenant commander. He earned 10 battle stars um, and later served as the deputy director of uh, Office of Price Administration from 1946 to 1947. It's really uh, always interesting, and that's one of the beauties of the Michigan uh, Military and Veterans Hall of Honor. Yeah, he only served four years in the Navy and then went on and did these incredible things, always kind of having one foot on the uh, remembering his Navy service and, and dealing with uh, military affairs and veterans affairs. So that's how they can also get into the hall, not only through their military service, but the things that they did as veterans after they got out to serve. And how many uh, military members get in there each year, Bill, and how many veteran members get in each year? We have, uh, I believe, six of uh, military and six of veteran members. And, and I think the important part there is to, again, tell these stories of not only people like Roger Chaffee, who had an incredible military career leading to being an astronaut, but guys like G. Menon Williams, who had, yeah, a limited amount of service, but it was a foundation of who they were, and it's the rest of their life that's uh, really quite impressive. And actually, we have another one of those people being inducted uh, that I'd put into that category. Um uh, Isaiah or Ike McKinnon, uh, he's being inducted in the veteran category. He served in the United States Air Force uh, in the early uh, 60s. He did a little time in uh, Minot, uh, uh, North Dakota, the coldest place you can think of in, in the United States, and then got himself uh, surprisingly transferred to Vietnam, one of the hottest places you could serve at that time. Um, but, but Ike McKinnon, uh, with that limited service, came out, joined the Detroit Police Department, ultimately rose to be chief of police, um, actually was deputy mayor of the city of Detroit for a while under one of the administrations, and really yeah. always remembered that foundation of discipline and respect and hard work that was laid, uh, you know, when he was in the military, and certainly there was family influences as well. But that's what you get to do with the Hall of Honor, isn't it, uh, Bill? Uh, you get to see people during their service and after their service, and, and they all end up being pretty interesting stories, uh, th those who get inducted. 
Yeah, and also his story, and you know, contrasting it with the with the other um, um, uh, Roger Chaffee and and um, Sophie Williams, is is they all have dramatically different backgrounds. Uh, you know, they all come from these different walks of life, come, come from different experiences growing up in, in Michigan or, or elsewhere, and they all come back and make such a significant difference and contribution for people in Michigan as well as nationally. And, and uh, to me, it, again, it just, it's, it's a representative of, of kind of what the American story is about. No, absolutely. It's a great way to preserve history. Um, you really, when you hear these stories and read them and meet, and if you get the chance to meet these men and women, because we have a number of women who are being inducted this year as well, um, it's inspiring, and we would encourage everybody to either come out uh, to uh, Lansing and attend this uh, free public event on October 27th, or as uh, Bill points out, I think Facebook Live is a great way to do it as well. So uh, either, either one, I think, will be inspiring, and, and we're trying to pass, preserve and pass this information along to the next generation. Bill, I appreciate your time today to talk a little bit about a couple of the inductees, and thank you for all your work that you're doing on the Michigan Military Veterans Hall of Honor. We're continuing our discussion about the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor now with uh, its chair, Valdi Garcia. Valdi is a uh, retired colonel from the United States Army, served for 30 years. He also served as a state senator here in Michigan. So his interest in the Michigan Hall of Honor is obvious. Valdi, welcome to Veterans Radio. Hey, good morning, Jim. How are you doing today? We're doing great. We've had a chance to talk to some of your other board mates here on the Hall of Honor about the process and the upcoming class of 2023 induction ceremony in in October and uh, we wanted to continue to talk about just some of the other members who are being inducted uh, a couple of the individuals for their military career because you can go in either on the military side or the veteran side so why don't we start with uh, another uh, army uh, he's currently, I believe, a Master Sergeant, uh, Jerrion Halberson Gibbs, uh, who uh, has quite a story of service in uh, Iraq, in uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Tell, tell us a little bit more about uh, this outstanding inductee. Uh, thanks, Jim. And it, it's uh, funny that uh, you find information in the uh, of funniest of oddest of manners. Um, I was doing some research on some other uh, military history, and uh, I knew that we have friends over at the uh, Michigan History Museum. And so I was perusing their site, and they had a new site up that they put up, I guess, in April about an individual whose name I had difficulty even, uh, you know, reading, let alone pronouncing. But I believe it's pronounced uh, Jerian Halbison Gibbs. And he's uh, from the Ann Arbor area, even though he no longer lives in the state. But uh, at the time, he was a staff sergeant. But the uh, the, the Michigan Military, or excuse me, the Michigan Heroes Museum had a uh, some photos, a story of, of what he accomplished. And I was very intrigued. So I immediately started to do some more research. It turns out that uh, this individual, uh, Jerian Halbison Gibbs, was a staff sergeant um, in um, September of 2007, he was um, a Special Forces uh, NCO. He was in the uh, Army Green Berets, and he was uh, working with some Iraqi individuals, his counterparts, and they were uh, looking to capture uh, someone in Al-Qaeda who was uh, Iraq's Minister of Defense for one of the provinces in Samarra. And long story short, and I can go into some of the details here shortly, but his uh, actions that day, uh, September 10th, 2007, earned him the nation's second highest award, which is the Distinguished Service Cross. Um, and um, it uh, was presented to him um, more than 10 years later. Um, and, um, oh no, excuse me, not 10 years later. It was uh, given to him in um, 2009, excuse me. But uh, what an extraordinary 
individual, the more I read about him, the more fascinated I am about his story and the individual. And uh, in a video that I've seen recently, he downplays his actions and he says he just happened to be the guy on point that night. And uh, what an extraordinary story well, that's about the, this individual. Yeah, these men uh, often are extremely humble. Uh, receiving the Distinguished Service Cross is a huge honor uh, for yes. anyone, let alone an enlisted guy in this situation. And it's part of what the Hall of Honor does is preserve history, making sure that other people know these stories about folks who have roots in Michigan, who have served the country either while in military service, like Helbison Gibbs, or while acting as veterans. And, and all the guys you're going to talk about really were uh, inducted because of what they did during service. T- tell us a little bit more of what uh, he earned the uh, DSC for. So that evening, they um, uh, uh, they took a helicopter in uh, to the site, and they ended up having to land unexpectedly close, within 30 meters of the building where they uh, that they were going to look for this individual. They cleared the first building, but there was three buildings, and as they exited the, the first building, they came under heavy fire from uh, the third building. And uh, so they returned fire, um, neutralized, or uh, as, as the uh, Army is fond of saying, but in terms of, uh, of reality, those uh, terrorists no longer exist anymore. And uh, they then continued to move on, clearing buildings. They continued to take um, uh, heavy fire from a machine gun fire. And as they entered another building, um, his two um, army uh, individuals or uh, colleagues who were part of his team, um, they were wounded immediately. In fact, all three of them were wounded. And some of them were very, very serious wounds, but they continued to fight. In fact, um, at the time, uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Halbison Gibbs took a, a gunshot wound to the abdomen, which you know exited out his hip. I don't know about you, but if somebody punched me in the stomach, that would stop me in my tracks. Exactly. This guy, this guy here was shot in the stomach. It exited out his hip, and he continued to fight. He continued to uh, eliminate the uh, enemy, secure the building, and on top of that, rally his troops, the uh, Iraqis that were with him, and uh, c- you know continue the mission. It was just an incredible feat of heroism, uh, courage, and just and professionalism uh, to do something like that. Well, I think it's also a highlight that the Hall of Honor is recognizing not only somebody who's still with us, but somebody from the Iraq uh, War and Operation. It's not all about crusty old history that, uh, you know, is uh, 100 years old, is it? That, that is correct. And, and, you know, one of the missions of our Hall of Honor is to remind folks of the legacy that Michigan has when it comes to service to our country and to our state. And right now, the Army and all the services are facing severe recruiting challenges, and there's just not an interest in service as there used to be. And I think stories like this of, of heroism, gallantry, um, courage in um, just dire circumstances, I think can help to motivate and inspire young people to go out and serve their, their country. Certainly, we don't, we, we don't hope that, that uh, we have to go to war. And no one in their right mind really wants to go to war. But if we have to, we want individuals who are highly motivated, highly trained, and have tremendous amount of courage, people like uh, at the time, Staff Sergeant uh, Halbison Gibbs, who just went on to do some extraordinary things. Another one of these living uh, legends, if you will, that's being inducted is Major General William Henderson, retired, who spent time both in the Marine Corps, but uh, most of his time with the Michigan Air National Guard. Um, tell us about uh, Bill Henderson. So uh, Bill Henderson is actually a, a Major General retired uh, who served in both the, the United States Marine Corps and uh, the Air Force. Um, he was the um, uh, commander of the uh, Michigan Air National Guard. He was the chief pilot and director of flight operations for General Motors Corporation for 28 years of service. So he served in the um, Air Force and, and the Marines as well, but then went on to have a distinguished career 
in the um, in the, the private sector as well. But while he was in Vietnam, he had 125 combat missions. Um, and um, you, you got to go home after 100 uh, missions. And uh, they said after you, if you survived your first 10, you probably were going to survive many more. But as you know, or any student of, of uh, aviation or air combat history, especially in Vietnam, a lot of the pilots that went up north were shot down by uh, surface-to-air missiles. So it was not a, uh, a milk run. It was uh, combat, and uh, they faced danger every time they crossed over the DMZ and went into uh, Vietnam. Well, As a result of, of his uh, actions, he was inducted into the uh, uh, Kalamazoo, um, the uh, Michigan Aviation Museum in Kalamazoo, uh, Michigan. And he's also one of these guys who has re- received some of the highest awards the nation gives, including the Distinguished uh-huh. Flying Cross, uh, twice, yes. actually, actually. And he's flown like every cool jet there is, right? He's flown the F-100 Sabre, the A-7 Corsair. You know, he's got a hell of a uh, record flying. And uh, uh, again, we're lucky to have uh, that uh, Major General Bill Henderson will be in attendance, as I understand it, at the October 27th uh, induction ceremony in Lansing, Michigan, at the uh, Michigan uh, History Museum on, on that Friday, beginning at 12:30. That's open to the public. So, Bill Henderson is one of these kind of living legends, isn't he? Absolutely. I'm just fascinated by the fact that he that he uh, flew the F-100 Super Saber. Uh, that was uh, growing up as a kid. That was one of my favorite aircraft. Um, it served in Vietnam. It, it it conducted some of the most dangerous missions that there were. Um, the uh, what uh, those folks who served in the Air Force know as the wild weasel missions. They went out and looked for surface to air missiles and attacked them uh, so that the rest of the bombers and the fighter aircraft would be free from surface to air missiles. And sometimes they succeeded, and sometimes they didn't. But they were very very dangerous uh, missions. Well, he's a good example of uh, why we're passing along this history. He's an, uh, an Ann Arbor native. Uh, he uh, was at uh, went went to Eastern Michigan University, and and he's somebody everybody can relate to, um, and I think will be a great addition to to the Hall of Honor. Well, we have another uh, individual going in uh, due to military service, uh, a Ypsilanti boy. Um, uh, Captain Robert Arvin, um, KIA in uh, Vietnam. But why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Bob Arvin's story? Uh, yes, uh, Jim. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, Captain Arvin, uh, Bob Arvin, was one of those individuals that uh, we will not be able to uh, uh, honor in person. But uh, certainly uh, his record of service uh, it speaks for itself. Uh, he was uh, a, a young man. Uh, he, he went to West Point, and he was, by all accounts, uh, an exemplary student and demonstrated exceptional leadership abilities. But uh, he went on to serve uh, in the infantry. Now, guys like, like that have their choice of branch of service. They can go into uh, accounting, they can go into um, finance, they can go into um, um, armor, you know, ride around in tanks. But this guy chose to uh, be, uh, you know, give his service with the infantry, the ground pounders, the guys that walk everywhere they go for the most part. And, uh, you know, he wanted to be where, you know, the the edge of the battlefield was. And he, and he certainly uh, uh uh, accomplished that and he was uh, sent to Vietnam as an advisor and um, he won several awards there uh, a silver star purple heart and of course you know if you got a purple heart you were wounded in action so uh, this individual was quite uh, an ex- uh, you know extraordinary individual but um, unfortunately um, he uh, is uh, not going to be able to, to be with us uh, at the ceremony. Well, it's it's a good example, again, of history, of trying to keep the names alive and the history alive of young men who've given their life of, in the service of the country. Uh, Bob Arvin is fondly remembered by his 
uh, mates from uh, West Point, the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. And uh, some of those uh, individuals will be at the ceremony to remember Arvin and, and uh, help keep his history of really selfless service alive. Um, as you say, he was awarded the Silver Star, which tells you something right there. So um, tell us a little bit about the ceremony as we wrap this up. Uh, and we're talking to Valdi Garcia, who's the chair of the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor. Uh, tell us a little bit about the ceremony and what folks can expect. Sure, Jim. Um, folks can expect that we will identify and honor 12 individuals uh, from all ranks, enlisted officers, all uh, backgrounds and races, and uh, males and females, those who served in combat, those who didn't, those who wore their you know, country's uniform for just a few years and then went on to do extraordinary things in the civilian sector. But we will um, call them up one by one, first uh, the military, then the veterans, and um, we will read some um, citations or some bullet points of some of their extraordinary achievements, and then we will uh, present them a medallion from the um, uh, Hall of Honor as well as some tributes and letters of appreciation from our U.S. senators, from our state representatives and state senators. We'll have a representative there from the governor's office if she can't make it. We'll have a military representative there from the Michigan National Guard. And by all accounts, in the um, uh, three services that we've had so far, uh, folks have been impressed with the, um, the nature of the ceremony, the fact that we're able to honor these individuals in such an extraordinary manner um, and it's just a very moving uh, ceremony and I think you have to be there to appreciate uh, the solemnness of the achievements of these individuals and last year was the first year that we came into the 21st century and by that I mean we streamed it live on Facebook and we expect to be able to do the same thing so people can go back to our our uh, Facebook uh, post uh, site and take a look at last year's ceremony and can expect more of the same uh, this year as we honor uh, the next batch, if you will, the next 12 individuals uh, and hopefully remember them um, for their accomplishments. And if you want to know more about the ceremony or more about the Michigan Military and Veterans Hall of Honor or, or read about uh, past uh, inductees, I think there were uh, this is the fifth year of fifth class, so uh, I, I don't know, 40 or 50 uh, maybe or more we have, uh, people have been yeah, inducted. We have 48 inductees uh, over uh, three uh, uh, ceremonies. Uh, we combined one ceremony uh, after the year of COVID. Uh, in, during the, that year, we didn't have a ceremony, so we combined the next two classes. So we have 48 individuals that we've honored and re- recognize and you're right this is our fifth class and we expect to honor 12 more individuals and you can go to mimilitaryvethallofhonor.org to read about those individuals uh, to click on the facebook uh, link or if you'd like to donate and help out uh, keep this this movement of uh, honoring michigan uh, men and women for their service to the country go to mimilitaryvethallofhonor.org and uh, uh, Valdi, we appreciate the time that you've made available for us today and, and your fellow board members, uh, Paul Ryan and uh, uh, B- Bill McDubin. Um, it's been a great uh, opportunity for veteran radio listeners to hear about these uh, great Michigan men and women who are being inducted to the Hall of Honor. And thanks again for your time. Absolutely, Jim. And I, I look forward to the ceremony in, in October. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fawson. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by visiting us at veteransradio.org. That's veteransradio.org. And until next time, you are dismissed. 
Do you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals? Contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, nvbdc.org, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor. And the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. We appreciate all your support. You can go to veteransradio.net, click on the sponsor level, and continue to support keeping Veterans Radio on the air. And until next time. You are dismissed.